Wide Vancouver. Free game, post game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds. It's free casino games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wad and J-Pat here with you once again. Another gorgeous day. I'm just loving this summer that we're having so far here in Vancouver, J-Pat. People say it rains a lot here. Not at this time of the year. Loving it right now. And Arthur Seeloff's probably loving this too. He was named a finalist, J-Pat, for the WHIF Male Player of the Year. And there are five nations that are represented here. And I'll run through them quickly. And I hope I don't butcher this guy's name. But it's Andreas Ambul, Switzerland. Connor Bedard, of course, Canadian. Adam Fantilli, another Canadian. Dominic Kubalik from Czechia. JJ Paterka from Germany. Moritz Seider, another German. And then, of course, Arthur Silovs from Latvia. It'll be awarded on June 19th. And just looking at the finalist, J-Pat, I think young Connor Bedard might be the favorite, although Arthur Seeloff's story is probably the best. Well, if recency bias comes into it, uh, coming off the world championship, then you know, this guy mopped up, and we know that. Uh, you know, Tournament all-star, top goalie, tournament MVP. And quite frankly, I didn't even realize that the IIHF awarded a male player of the year, although I guess I should have because I saw Hillary Knight of the U.S. was the female player of the year. Now, they didn't do them in concert. Uh, Knight got her award a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this one, as you said, June 19th, so a couple of weeks out. Um, you have to, I mean, it's, it's been the year of Connor Bedard, right? And it's going to be oh, yeah. again with the draft. So I would think he's the presumptive favorite. And remember what he did at the World Juniors. Like, it was off the charts. And this is... You know, how did you perform at IIHF tournaments? So, World Junior, yeah, on that scale, like the World Juniors holds as much weight as the World Championship. But again, like this is just such a what a cool month it's been for Arthur Silovs. Leads Latvia to its first ever medal, the bronze, gets all those individual awards. We saw the reaction in Riga afterwards. For a bronze medal, like, what if he wins this thing? They've already done the national holiday thing. They've done the 50,000 people cramming the town square. Like, is there going to be a rule in Latvia? Like, every baby boy for the rest of the year has got to be named Arthur? It's like, well, these guys like to celebrate their <laughs> hockey. And so... Arthur Zerbre is like, yep, I agree with that. <laughs> works for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, it's just really cool. And again, I, I would think all of these things would do worlds of good for Arthur Silovs and his confidence level. And so, you know, we won't get back into the discussion about backup goaltenders for next year. But still, like, I just think that it reflects uh, the incredible run that he had at the World Hockey Championship. And, you know, I have to think that he opened eyes around the hockey world. Like, literally, like, I, I, my guess is there were lots of people that were in, like, hockey DB searches or elite prospects. Like, who is this Arthur Silov's guy? You know, can they draft? Oh, he's already been drafted. He's a Canuck prospect. Damn it. Um yeah, so good on him. Let's see in the KHL. Yeah, let's see what happens here. <laughs> June 19th, circle it on your calendar. I don't know how, I, I think they just probably make the announcement. I don't think that there's like a, an award show or anything like that. Um, and again, as good a story as Solovs has been, I still think my money. I don't know if there's a vote online on it, but my money, I think, on Connor Bedard. Well, I mean, just look at the sheer numbers from the uh, World Juniors. He had 23 points in seven games. He was 14 points ahead of Logan Cooley, who was second. And he became the first junior ever to be named top prospect, top player, top scorer, all in the same season. Like, just, it's unbelievable what Connor Bedard has done. You know what, though? Like, everybody, all of course, is talking about Connor Bedard. But take Connor Bedard sort of out of this draft. Adam Fantilli has been having himself an exceptional year. And I know I'm not, you know, saying something that people don't know. But 
like he's flying under the radar because of Bedard to a certain degree, but he's going to be a fine NHL player. It looks like, and you know, whoever does get the chance to draft him, and we'll see if he goes second overall. I know there's a bit of debate right now, but the university of Michigan product is looking like he's going to be a real good one. And I know that this draft is people that follow the draft closer are saying this is going to be a really good draft. But I mean, those two players alone are going to be what looks like, you know, pillars of their teams in the NHL. Yeah. Well, I think you can make the argument that, in any other draft year, Adam Fantilli and Leo Carlson probably are like hands down. Can you say probably and hands down in the same sentence? Uh, I think I contradicted myself, but you know where I'm going with this. In other draft years, those dudes are first overall picks with a bullet, but they just happen to be in the Conor Bedard draft. In fact, I read somewhere that this top end of this draft is so deep that there are really five guys or five candidates that could have been top overall talent in their own draft year uh, if that was the case. But uh, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are comparing to this 2015 in recent years. When you go back and look at the first round of that 2015 draft, incredible. Uh, Go back to 2003, another uh, first round that was just stacked and loaded and almost, you know, can't miss prospects. Uh, This feels like it's, you know, really, really uh, top heavy. Is it top heavy enough to include that 11th pick where the Canucks are sitting? We'll find out. I mean, there's always tears within a draft, uh, but there's no doubt that the big three this year, Bedard, Fantilli, Leo Carlson, and then we'll see how it breaks off from there. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what the Canucks do with their pick as well. I know a lot of people want them to make that pick uh, 11th overall, but we'll see exactly uh, what they're able to do uh, with it. Uh, you got a good column up on Hockey News as well today. Top 10 Canucks candidates for improvement from within for next season. And as I scrolled through it, like, uh, you know, it's pretty straightforward in terms of like, yeah, I agree with that. Like you have Thatcher Demko at number one, penalty kill at number two. And then, you know, some names that people uh, would expect, you know, Oliver Ekman Larson is on that list as well. But one guy that sort of stood out to me was Philip Aronic. And I don't think Canuck fans know a lot about Philip Aronic, but he has the ability to not only improve, you know, as a player and maybe, you know, make himself a, a little more of a name around the NHL. But he's also got a, a, a big task in, you know, helping improve the Canucks blue line and, in you know, getting some goal scoring from there because that's what they need right now. And I know I predict Quinn Hughes to step up and be able to get himself to double digits this year. But I think with Philip Moronic, like that's a guy that you expect to be there. I'm thinking somewhere in the 15, you know, 10 to 15 range is a must if you can get any more than that from him. Obviously, that's going to be huge for the Canucks. This kind of started, we were talking the other day on Sakaris and Price when I was on with them about improvement from within. And, you know, the question came up a little bit about Patterson and Hughes. And, like, sure, could you see a bump in their production? I suppose. But when I think of improvement from within for the Vancouver Canucks, I'm not thinking about those guys. Like, I'm not expecting Elias Pettersson to get to 120 points. I don't think Quinn Hughes is all of a sudden going to do the Eric Carlson and be a 100-point guy. I need those two to replicate what they did for the Vancouver Canucks this past season. So stay where they are, give or take, a few points. But then it's a question of can the players around them get better? And so that was sort of the object of the exercise. That's where I was coming from. Uh, because Patrick Alvin himself said it at his year-end press conference. Like, they know that, we all know their hands are tied, that even if they clear up some cap space, they're not going to have a ton. And, 
you know, I'm not sure that there's this massive appetite in the market for them to go racing into unrestricted free agency with whatever money they have. So, uh, you know, I just thought, okay, like every team has to believe that they've got guys that are going to take strides year over year. And for me, it starts with Thatcher Demko. Like if they get Bubble Demko or anything close to Bubble Demko or the guy even that, you know, came off the injury and prop them back up, if he can do that for a full season, this team can and will be better. It will. If you get that kind of goaltending. Now, I think we've spent a lot of time talking about who's going to be the backup. I think the other part of the equation is what have the Canucks learned from what's gone on here? We've looked at Jake Ottinger as, you know, one of those 60 plus game guys that kind of faded a little bit in the playoffs. You know, what's the optimal number for Thatcher Demko if he's healthy? Is it 50 games? Is it 55? I certainly don't think you want to creep over that number. Uh, A, if you're going up over 55 for Demko, you saw what happened when Bruce Woodrow took over and they just played him into dust and he got hurt. Um, You know, so that's not good. But if you're playing him 50 to 55, then that leaves quite a few games for the backup. So, you know, there are moving parts around the goaltending. But if you get Thatcher Demko back at that level... Like, that is improvement. He won 14 games last year. Like, say what you will about the way that he played down the stretch. His body of work, the start of the season, and then the injury, he won 14 games for the Canucks. So that leaves lots of room for improvement uh, from within for him. Penalty kill, I mean, every postgame pod, it became a punchline. It can't be worse. So I think by default, like it's a candidate to be better and it goes hand in hand with Demko. A few more saves on the penalty kill. I do think the penalty kill will be better. I don't know how much, but I think the penalty kill will be better. Can't be much worse. Well, no, I mean, statistically, I guess percentage points it could be, but it, you know, unless they expand, um, if you're 32nd and remember it was 31st the year before. So this is a two year run where it has been just dreadful. Um, you know, so you got goaltending, you got the penalty kill, and then a guy like Ilya Mikheyev, who, you know, in the limited time that he played and knowing what we know about his, the fact that he was never fully healthy, you know, his production wasn't terrible for the Canucks. But, you know, I, I think it stands to reason that if he's there for a full season, he can help the penalty kill. Uh, he'll be a top six forward on this team. So I think Mikheyev is a, another guy. Then I get to Hironik and... Look, they didn't have Philip Peronik last year. Played four games for him. Four meaningless games at the end of March. He wasn't fully healthy. Four, you know, completely forgettable games, let's be honest. Like, but he played. Um, but they made the trade. They are better with Philip Peronik, there's no doubt. Like, that right side was a carnival last year. You get a fixture on your right side that's going to play and play a lot. Uh, it stands to reason that their defense will be better with Philip Ronick in. Now, how, how much better? How good is he for a full season? Uh, you know, he's been a nine-goal scorer twice in his career. I think, uh, I, I guess my early money would be on him leading the defense core in goals, but I don't think he's going to be a 15 to 20 goal no, guy. No, I think somewhere I think, between 10 to 15 is probably where you what you should expect yeah. from him. What about this, though? So last year was his best year in terms of point production. He tied his total, but he, he did it in 60 games. So he 38 yeah. points in 60 games. That breaks out to 52 and 82. Do you see him being a 50-point guy? I think for the price that they paid, where he is in his career, uh, the style that he plays, yeah, I, I think he can give 50 points a yeah. run. Now, mm-hmm. the idea of the Canucks having two 50-point defensemen? Like, come on. Uh, we know that Quinn Hughes like 
came along and it had just been this death valley of points from defenders for forever. So to have two on the same team would be incredible. You know, I, you're, I, I think you're bang on when you say people don't fully know about Philip Ronick. And again, he played four games. So it wasn't like we you know, had this great sample size as a Canuck. I think people are going to be surprised. Like, he's physical. He's not the biggest guy in the world. Like, I think he's listed at six feet. But I think he, you know, he could be hard to play against. But I don't know that he is any sort of deterrent. Like, when Rick Tockett talks about toughness, we know that Luke Shan and Kyle Burroughs, you know, they bring sort of prototypical hockey toughness, right? Even if fighting is being phased out of the game, that was an element that they had uh, in what they did. I, I don't expect that from Philip Ronick. I, I think this is a guy that finishes checks. I think this is a guy that isn't afraid to mix it up. Um, and, you know, essentially, if he does his job, the team will spend less time in its own end and, you know, more time on the attack. So, again, the addition of Philip Ronick, I think by default, makes the Canucks better. Then my list got into, you know, the, the candidates that I think you, you would expect, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Dakota Joshua, what's the upside talk? It said he might be a 20, he thought he could be a 20 goal scorer. I, I'm not there with the coach, but I do think that there's room for, you know, a little bit of bump in, in his production. But more than that, it's, can he round out his penalty killing? Can he be physical? Can he, you know, impose his will on opponents rather than just, you know, racking up hits that nobody remembers, you know, how about a few significant hits along the way that you know have really left their mark on an opponent? Uh, Nils Mon in the same boat for Mon, it's really more the defensive side. Like, you know, the numbers are what the numbers are. Uh, his individual course, he was around 40. His face-offs at 38%. Like, you know, when he's out there, he can't be getting outscored at the rate that he did in his first go-round. And, you know, being a rookie, like, there's a big learning curve. And so you take that into account, but I want to believe that nothing's going to surprise him now in the NHL. He's been around the block a uh, full time. Um, you know, so I think he can get better. I don't know how much better ultimately. And then the question is, you know, are they able to address that third line center or are they going to trot out Nils Amon and say, hey, you know, I know like that's the, the concern. Because he can improve without like improving offensively. Yes, right? that's like, what I mean. Still, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and again, when I go back to penalty kill, you know, Pedersen's part of it. Miller's going to probably be a part of it, but then you're going to need other guys. And that's where I'm on. And that's where uh, Dakota Joshua come in. But, you know, Neil's on at 38% in the faceoff circle. Like, you know, you've got to win more of your draws, especially on the penalty kill. Like, that's where I'd like to see an uptick. You know, so I hope he gets stronger over the offseason. He's, the height is there, but... Can he fill out? Can he just get a little physically stronger so that he's not getting dominated in the face-off circle? I may be in the minority here, but I included OEL on the list. Like, I'm going to give OEL the benefit of the doubt that, and I list the factors, a full off-season to train that he didn't have last year. Playing with Philip Ronick, and, and this is me speculating, I don't know, but that's my sense is that they're going to try to milk what they can out of Oliver ekman Larson, and they're going to put him in a position to succeed with the lefty-righty, and I think they're going to try to form two solid top four pairs. Uh, I think that... You would hope so. He hasn't had a partner like that in his time with the Canucks. And then you've got Rick Tockett, you've got Adam Foote, you've got the systems, you've got the structure, all those types of things... Again, I'm not 
sitting here projecting Oliver Ekman Larson getting back to all star category and that kind of stuff. But I do think that, uh, you know, kind of like the penalty kill, that it, it can't be a whole lot worse than it was last year, right? Like, I, I think that there is only, yeah, yeah, I know. I, you really hope so. So, benefit of the doubt, maybe foolishly, but I, I do think that Oliver Ekman Larson, um, again, like he's not 35 or 36. Like he's not Ryan Suter. This is a guy that's in his early 30s, that there should still be some life uh, in Oliver Ekman Larson. So the concern is the speed of the game. We saw foot speed, you know, there were just too many times the guys were able to beat him in the neutral zone. I don't know if he can, at this stage of his career, up his foot speed, but uh, I do think that it stands to reason that he could be better than he was last year. And if he's better than he was last year, then that is why I included him in improvement from within, you know, and then you get to guys like Pod Colson and Hoaglander. I don't know ultimately what role they play, but they didn't play much of a role at the NHL level for the Canucks last year. So again, if you could squeeze a little bit of juice out of either of them or both, hopefully, then those are guys that can give you more than they did last year. And then the last one on my list was Rick Tockett. And like, yeah, he did some good things, but you know, I don't think anybody's here to declare that he was coach of the year. He wasn't, and he won't be. He wasn't a finalist. You know, but his team won more than lost down the stretch. He implemented systems. The structure was better, but he's got to breathe life into the power play. He's got to find a way to get that penalty kill up. Even to league average would be a massive jump for the Vancouver Canucks on the penalty kill. So I think Tockett's got some work to do, Tockett and his staff. And so I think that's what the team is banking on. Now, all of that said... You know, it may not be enough for the Vancouver Canucks to take significant strides, but for a team that doesn't have much money to spend, and we don't know what the final roster is going to look like. So this is preliminary. I may have to revisit it, you know, after uh, the middle of July when sort of the dust is settled here. But again, and and look, we had one of our listeners, Drew, on Twitter. Uh, when I posted the column, <laughs> Drew said, I commented the other day about not, about using what they have and not signing free agents, and it gets poo-pooed during the pod. Then you go write an article about internal candidates for improvement, and then he says, it's all good, still love you guys, ha-ha. So uh, thank you to Drew for the support. I, I think the point, though, and I can't remember exactly what his contribution was, but we had a couple of people that were like, don't spend on free agency. That's fine, but... Ultimately, the name of the game is about bettering your team. It's about getting better. And so, you know, just running back the same group seems like a flawed strategy. But again, their hands are tied financially. And so if that is the way that they go about it this year, take their lumps and bring back most of the same roster, then these are the players and the areas that I do think can get better for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, like if you are able to shed a Garland or a Besser or whoever, you yeah. know, yeah, maybe some cap space does open up. But if even if it doesn't, like they're still going to have to nibble around some sort of edges. Yep. Right? And you're looking at the defense core, you know, Philip Peronic, I mean, if Philip Peronic can get to 50 points, that would be massive for the Canucks because the second highest scoring defenseman on the team last year was Oliver Ekman Larson at 22 points. There was a 54-point gap between him and Quinn Hughes. But ultimately, points from a defenseman are gravy. As much as I sit here and want them to score more goals, uh, the, jo- the job of a defenseman, first and foremost, is to defend. Sure. And we know that the Canucks were just way too permissive in terms of goals against. So yeah. for me, it's more about 
tend to your own end, spend less time in your own end, and then you hope that the chips would fall that would allow a guy like Hironic to pad his his point totals. But sure. Okay, so let's say second pairing is OEL and Hironic. Yeah. What's the first pairing? Like, obviously, it's Quinn Hughes and who? So when you talk about nibbling around edges, like perhaps that is Ethan Bear, perhaps that's Luke Shen. But the thing is, there's too much hope in the Luke Shen situation. You want him, you hope he'll be there. Their whole strategy this offseason is hope. And I included that in the article too. And that's the, that's the, the troublesome part about this is, you know, again, if you're running it back and you're just saying, hey, we believe strongly that all of these guys... Like, they're not all going to improve. Like, I have a list of 10 candidates. I bet at the end of the season, we look back, there'll be a couple of guys, whether it's injury, whether it's inconsistent play, whether they're traded away, whatever. Like, not all 10 guys are, you know, check, 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 check. Uh, if that's the case, then, yeah. I mean, I, I still think with Patterson, Hughes, Miller, Kuzmenko, Demko, a healthy uh, Mikheyev. Did I say Kuzmenko? Yeah, Kuzmenko. You know, I, I think that Demko is probably the key in all that. You know, is there enough there to squeeze them into the playoff picture as a second wild card? Yeah, if, and there you go again, capital <laughs> letters, bold, <laughs> underline, you know, if all those guys do what you expect of them to do, then yeah, I think there is reason to believe that, like, ultimately, just on the simplest level, the Vancouver Canucks needed six more wins over 82 games, 12 more points would have got them right there against the playoff bar. Can they win six more games? Can Thatcher Demko deliver six more wins? Sure he can. Can the power play, you know, can a better penalty kill? Yeah, absolutely. So that's why I say, you know, on its simplistic terms, can the, can I see a way that the Canucks could be a playoff team next year? Sure. But is it about just squeezing into the playoffs or is it about putting the building blocks in place? Nah, it's, it's about squeezing into the playoffs right now for them. That's, that's the bed they've made. Well, and given what Florida did too, you're like that just no, kind of strikes. Yeah. I mean, no, I, but I would say don't Rod- give me that shit. But Thatcher Demko you. might change that, though. No, right? but I'm just saying at, at Rogers Arena in the corner offices, there's yeah. that's the approach that they clearly take: is hey, just get us in, and yeah, maybe we ride a red hot goaltender. Anything can happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I don't think that they are the, the they, they they might be there in terms of the goaltending. The rest of it's not there when you when you would compare the two teams. Okay, so for candidates that I think perhaps are going to have the hardest time improving. I think the easy answer is Oliver ekman Larson, just because he hasn't shown us that yet. But for yep. everything that you laid out, you know, perhaps there is some hope. We'll mm-hmm. go back to that. I think Nozaman's the longest shot. I just, I wonder if he's ceilinged as a, as a player uh, and if he's plateaued and is what he is. And he's not a bad player. And I know there's some people that pushed back at us last year being like, you guys don't see it. Yeah. Well, I don't really. <laughs> but again, like to me, like he's not a lock to me. Like he was a good story in terms of, oh, hey, they found this guy out of nowhere. But to me, like I'm still not 100 percent you know, sure that Nils Amon is an 82 uh, a game player in the NHL. Yeah. And I, I think, too, for me with him, it's uh, as you said, I think that's a good way to paint it. Like one year. But is that his ceiling? Again, he was a sixth round pick for a reason. There were warts on his game then and there are still warts on his game now. Um, I think he processes the game. Like, I think the Canucks liked his hockey sense. Uh, the fact that he had played some pro over in Sweden, he was fairly polished and refined. But whether it's the eye test or, uh, as you know, I point out in the column, like, again, individual course, he had 40, he was outscored 
uh, at even strength considerably. If you're not scoring and he's not a big scorer, you know, then the challenge is to keep the puck out of your own net. And they didn't win that battle, him and his line mates. And then you get to the faceoff part as well. And I just don't think he can be a really, really successful penalty killer at the NHL level if you're winning, you know, 38% of your faceoffs. So, uh, again, what did he take away from his first full year? How does he apply it? The big summer uh, of Rick Tockett. And what does Niels Amon look like when he arrives here for training camp in the I'm fall? I'm scrolling through the Canucks away jersey auction right now, which is happening oh, over huh. on their vanbase.ca website. Is there a Niels Amon bid in here? I don't know if I see it as I scroll through. I do not. There is no Niels Amon. Curtis Lazar. There is Curtis Lazar. <laughs> there. And listen, uh, if you want to get in on the bidding, you've got one day, 12 hours, eight minutes, and it's ticking away right now to get in on it. Curtis Lazard, <laughs> a way-worn jersey, is the starting bid $750. There is currently no bids for Curtis Lazar. Uh, of course, the most popular ones are Elias Patterson, Quinn Hughes, JT Miller, uh, there's even some bids for Spencer Martin, three bids at $900 yeah. for a Spencer Martin Jersey. But right now Patterson's a with an a on it. That is away Jersey. There's 13 bids on it right now for $2,225. That is the highest one. I believe that I see here. And yeah, some Demko in there for 1100. You got a Kuzmenko that you could get at 1300 is the highest bid right now. But interesting to see some of the guys that are on here. If you want to get in on Jack Rathbone, hey, no bids yet. 800 bucks. Perhaps an Ethan Bear for $850. Oh, there is one lower than Curtis Lazar, actually. Now that I see yes, that. I know where you're going with this, I yeah, think. Sam Pearson. So the tweet says, auction now open for away jerseys worn on January 25th to April 13th. Um. But if I look at Tanner Pearson's game log... Well, he's not in the jersey. They just show a jersey hanging on a, on a hanger. Well, it wasn't game-worn between no. January and April. I can tell you that. I mean, maybe it was in the locker room or something, but not out on the ice. So, anyways, yes, there is a, a Tanner Pearson among others. But uh, uh, Leas Pedersen with the A on his jersey, the clubhouse leader right now. No surprise. Quinn Hughes not uh, that far behind, although there's a gap there. But uh, Unbelievable. Uh, what people will spend on game worn. I mean, the collectors are out there. They know the value, I suppose. And uh, anyway, significant investment. People up uh, over 2200 bucks right now uh, for an EP40 game worn road jersey with the A stitched on it. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Today is Wednesday, June 7th, as we record this, J Pad. That means 
you, the listener, only have two more days to get into our Best Buy contest. Here's what you got to do. Head over to Twitter, at RinkWideVan. Follow all the steps you see on the pinned tweet on, on our profile. And, of course, uh, you'll be entered into the contest to win a $50 gift card to Best Buy. We'll give away two of them. We'll announce it on Friday's pod. So you want to want to get in on it uh, by Friday morning. We usually record them uh, before noon on Friday. So get in there. Follow all the steps. We'll be looking. If you don't follow all the steps, you're not going to qualify to win that money. And if you don't follow the steps... Our special guest on Thursday, we might send him after you. Oh. If you don't want any part of that. Yeah, stay tuned for that. <laughs> but trust me, you're not going to want to tangle with this guy. All right, a big trade in the NHL yesterday, and a creative trade at that, yeah. between the Kings, uh, Blue Jackets, and Flyers. The Flyers acquiring Cal Peterson, Sean Walker, and Hal J. Grands, I think I'm saying that correct, a 2024 second-round pick from L.A., and then from CBJ, they get a first-rounder, which is L.A.'s 22nd overall pick, second-rounder, which is conditional. The Kings get Kevin Connaughton, uh, Ivan Provorov, and Hayden Hodgson. However, Provorov goes to Columbus, and L.A. retains a portion of the salary, what, uh, 30% of the salary L.A. retains. So can you there's run, a lot to digest can you run there. that again? Yeah, I missed some Yeah, of that. exactly. <laughs> tons tons to digest there. Go over to Cap Friendly, and they'll have it all laid out probably better than I just did for you. But the point is this. Hmm. That it is a creative trade. It's like NBA-style trade almost, uh, except, well, especially with the dollars. And as we've seen now, you know, dollar in, dollar out, I know that's a, a phrase that a lot of people use, but it's true, and it's also very NBA because you have to match the dollars. But I love this in terms of the creativity. I question it in terms of Philadelphia with Cal Peterson. I mean, he had a terrible year uh, for the Kings, people wondering how the hell they were going to get out from underneath that contract. They did it, and the Flyers have Carter Hart already in the mix, so that's an interesting move for them. I like it for the Kings because they turned around inside uh, Gabrikov today with the money that they saved, which is basically what we knew was going to happen here from the Kings side of things. And then for the Columbus to pick up, you know, a defenseman and Ivan Provorov, who, you know, perhaps in his days in Philadelphia weren't all that great in the end. And of course, he had that uh, story this year with the pride jersey and whatnot. But if you're the Columbus Blue Jackets and you're a Columbus Blue Jackets fan, like, you're probably pretty excited about the fact that you got a, a pretty good offensive defenseman in Provorov. Yeah, I'm not sure what CBJ is doing on the PR front with Mike Babcock and then Provorov. Uh, both of them have some baggage there. But but Columbus clearly was looking for a plug-and-play defenseman. They accomplished that. They get Provorov. The guy will play, and he'll play a lot for them. They, you know, a healthy Zach Wierenski on the other side. Like, you know, it's been too many down years in Columbus, and they're trying to advance their rebuild. So... Um, you know, you, you can question whether it was the right time for Columbus, but clearly Yarmo Kekalainen, you know, he's probably feeling a little bit of heat as well uh, to advance things that you can't just stockpile all the prospects that at some point you have to move it forward. So Columbus gets a plug-and-play defenseman. Philadelphia has signaled the rebuild. Uh, you know, I, I am curious about Cal Peterson as well. I'm not sure I'd bank on him being uh, a starter after the season that he had. But he's had two bad seasons when you really look at his. But I numbers. do wonder if Philly's thinking is we know that we're a few years away. We can ride it out with suspect goaltending, trade Carter Hart for a, a bigger haul. So I get the feeling the Flyers may not be done here. 
Also, if the Flyers are bad next year, like Macklin Celebrini, the first overall pick, um, you know, they may be willing to take their lumps in the short term here. But I think it was Daniel Breer, uh, you know, not trying to fool the fans in Philly. Like, I think this is him recognizing that they're at the low point of their cycle and they've got to find a way to, to get out of it. So they acquire a bunch of futures that are going to help them. And then the LA Kings... That's where the Kings got, you know, they were the broker on the Provorov deal so that they retained some salary, but in doing so, they get out from under Cal Peterson's contract. There were a lot of people in hockey, I think, that thought that might be an unmovable contract uh, for goaltenders, just like who was looking for a goalie that, you know, has struggled, as you said, last two years and making what he's made. How he got that contract in the first place is like good on him, but, uh, you know, Rob Blake, I think, did some pretty decent work there because now the Kings have gone and taken the cap space that they cleared up and have locked up Vlaslav Gavrikov to your deal. Um, and if you're the Canucks, I think you look at this trade, Columbus and Philly are in the East, so it really doesn't matter as much. But you're the LA Kings. You're already a pretty good team. You've been to the playoffs two years in a row. Haven't been able to get past the Edmonton Oilers, but you know, you've know you played them hard. Um, I think the Kings are going to continue to improve here. Gavrikov was a nice fit. And so what else are they what else are they going to do with the cap savings that they got from getting out? Now, again, it cost them a, a prospect and, you know, Sean Walker's an injured. He'd been injured most of last year. I'm not sure that he fit in their plans necessarily, but I, I like the fact that you found three motivated GMs, all sort of had different needs, but they were able to come together, put their heads together. And that's what it takes in this flat cap economy is getting creative. And the fact that they were able to do it without using Arizona as a broker, um, maybe that was the most surprising thing. Usually the bank of Arizona. Yeah, well, usually when these <laughs> deals go down, the Coyotes somehow have their, their yeah. fingers uh, all over it. But whatever the case, I think that there is a lesson here for the Vancouver Canucks that, you know, the Peterson deal, while it's not a good contract, it proved that it wasn't unmovable if you're motivated and the Canucks should be motivated. So, you know, clock is ticking. You know, we said there's a couple of days left to get in on the Best Buy deal. We're three weeks away from the first round of the draft now. And it just was encouraging to me that three GMs came together while the Stanley Cup final was going on and played Let's Make a Deal. And so that gives me hope that Patrick Alvin can find some trading partners here to try to make something happen. We know the Canucks are up against it, but this is where creativity, a willingness to eat some money ultimately, and that may be their way out of cap jail in the short term here. Um, the downside, I guess, is that three teams just checked off you know, things on their to-do list. So does that take those three teams out of the equation as trading partners for the Vancouver Canucks? But the Daniel Briere one is interesting to me because we spent a little bit of time last week talking about uh, potential trading partners. I still look at Nashville as the draft host and, you know, they've got their needs. But Briere is a new GM wanting to signal to his fan base that, you know, he's got both hands on the wheel here. I think he was motivated to make something happen. So look to Calgary, you know, new GM there. Kyle Dubas takes over in Pittsburgh. Uh, Barry Trotz, now the man at the helm of Nashville. Like, I just think that these guys that take over the job, like they want to put their stamp on things and this is the time of the year. So um, yeah, good on day. It sounded like Briere was sort of the driving force that he was the one that, you know, got the balls rolling with all of this, but you know, you got to suss out dance partners. And as you said, make it all work out on the financial side as well. Whatever the case, I always say it, nothing better for hockey fans 
even outside of those three markets, because here we are on a Canuck podcast talking about nothing gets people talking like trades. You know that meme of Jim Benning at the draft floor with his eyes looking at his, yes. his phone or whatever his eyes look like? Yep. Yeah, I bet you his head would pop off if he saw this trade. <laughs> he like trying to wrap his head around it. The good thing, the Canucks don't have Jim Benning running this anymore, but can Patrick Alvin be creative? You know, like you're seeing from Daniel Briera, uh, again, aggressive move for a first-time GM. And at least they've Picked up some draft capital now, as I mentioned, with get, picking up that uh, Kings first round pick. They got three picks now in the second round. No, it's two picks now in the second round because they lost their third one. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what Philadelphia does. And maybe perhaps Philadelphia could be somebody that the Canucks could be a, a dance partner with uh, in a trade. But we'll have to see about that. But again, like I said, I just love the creativity of the, of the whole thing. And it's great that NHL GMs are starting to wrap their head around that they can do these types of moves. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog, the place to go to make a play on free casino games and sports odds. Let's get into some playoff talk. Stanley Cup final talk, as always. Presented by Jason Hominick and Jason. Mortgage. Yeah, and we always say, you know, if you're in the market for a home or if your mortgage is up for renewal, well, what about if you've had a mortgage for a while and you're starting to wonder, like, is this the best thing going? Like, you know, I wonder if I've got the right product for me. Jason Hominick always says he will take anybody's phone call. Like, he's happy to give you the advice that you're looking for here. So even if you're not in the housing game right now, but you're hearing all this talk about mortgage rates and you know, the variability and fixed terms and all the, the questions that people have, uh, maybe you don't have the right product for you. Jason Hominick would be the guy to tell you, and he will do it with a phone call. So uh, again, among the many things that Jason Hominick does for those in the housing game, uh, he is happy to answer questions that you have about the product that you have as well. So we always say it starts with a phone call. Check him out online, jason.mortgage, the easy-to-remember website. All the contact info is there. Reach out. He's waiting for your call. Game three of the Stanley Cup final goes down tomorrow night as the series shifts over to the Sunshine State in Florida. VGK, of course, leading the series uh, 2-0. Just looking at uh, Bodog odds now for game three. Florida's a slight favorite. It's almost a pick though, J-Pat, at minus 120. Uh, VGK at even money right now. I'm a betting man. I don't know how much I like Florida right now. I, I Just the way that... Uh, Vegas has played throughout this series the way they've dominated. I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering if Florida, you know, can sort of flip this series uh, on its ear and, and perhaps maybe even send it back to Sin City tied up. But uh, I am a betting man. I don't think I would go there. I see Florida perhaps taking one of two, but I don't think it's going to be game three. I think uh, Vegas is going to go up three buzz in this series with a win tomorrow night. And if you recall, last week I said yeah. I've got Vegas in five. Mm-hmm. I think if Florida is going to get this thing back to Sin City, they have to win one of these two at home. 
I think it has to be game three. If they're down three, Buzz, at that yes. point, the incentive yeah. is out the window. Uh, Gary's got the guys with the gloves uh, polishing up the Stanley Cup for presentation in game number four. You know, at some point, I think the Florida Panthers, you know, obviously want to deliver a victory for their fans in the Stanley Cup final. They got swept way back in 1996. They don't want to think about that again. Um, does Bodog have a line for you know, penalty minutes and like, can the Panthers <laughs> keep it under a thousand in, in game number three? They've got to stay out of the penalty box, right? Like they're not out toughing the Vegas Golden Knights. They're not. We, the Golden Knights have enough toughness that, you know, they're not uh, intimidated. They're not getting pushed around and Florida, I don't think has, uh, you know, done itself any favors. Matthew Kachuk is just way too valuable. He's got to be on the ice. He can't be taking misconducts and, you know, we could discuss whether the refs were a little too liberal in tossing tens around. That's a different, the game's out of reach at that point. Uh, Matthew Kachuk has to rise up and have a signature game like he has had many times through the season and through these playoffs. Uh, he means that much. Bob is back in goal. Paul Maurice has already said that. Uh, Maurice is a veteran coach. He's been around the block a few times. He's got to rein his guys in and find that fine line about being aggressive, but not being stupid and taking penalties. And again, the top guys in the Florida Panthers, more valuable to their team out on the ice uh, rather than sitting in the penalty box trying to send some sort of message. So uh, I'm not ready to write Florida off. I mean, at your own peril, have we not learned anything from the first three rounds? They were down to Boston and they came back and and won that one. Uh, I'm going to give them every opportunity to win game three. If they don't get game three at that point, I I would expect that the brooms come out. Um, But yeah, I, I mean, how does Bob respond uh, how does a Matthew Kachuk, you know, apply his emotion properly to game three, the extra day of rest? Like if you're one that believes in momentum, does that hurt? I'm sure Vegas would like to get right back at it and keep this thing going. So there's an extra day between games here. But uh, I, I think Florida will find a way in game number three. The money's pouring in on Jonathan Marcheseau for Conn Smythe Trophy because his odds have dipped now. They're at minus 110. He's the odds on uh, favorite for the Conn Smythe. But they do have a different prop, and I'm sorry they don't have anything about penalty minutes uh, here on Bodog, although it might show up tomorrow. There's usually prop bets on game day. But Conn Smythe Trophy winner position, winger at minus 180, goaltender at plus 300, center at plus 450, defenseman at the longest odds at plus 7,500. Again, if you feel like Jack Eichel perhaps can have himself, you know, a couple of good games here and, and you know, pull uh, the Golden Knights through, you know, maybe you want to take a, a look at Jack Eichel at plus 400 and at a center at plus 450. But right now, odds on favorite is for a winger to win it at minus 180. Uh, which is interesting, too, because Aiden Hill is second in Consmite Trophy odds at plus 350. So with the goaltender being at plus 300 as well, you can't parlay those together. They're single bets, which is too bad. I was hoping that you could put the two together. You imagine we get plus 850 for a center between Jack Eichel and a center. That would be uh, pretty remarkable. But uh, head over to Bodog, place your bet there if you want to get those odds today because they'll probably change tomorrow uh, with the money that's coming in. And if uh, the Golden Knights can win Boy, those odds are going to dip or much lower. So try to get in on those now if you feel like you've got the sure bet. Did you see uh, the big off-ice news of the last couple of days? Brandon Montour played in game one, flew to Florida for the birth of his baby, hopped on a plane, flew back to Vegas to play in game two, and now obviously flew back with the team. Uh, But that's a pretty eventful weekend. Apparently the baby came early. It was supposed to be uh, middle of June. I guess uh, that's a week away. So 
Uh, sometimes babies have minds of their own and uh, want to get baby wanted in on the Stanley Cup final, didn't want to miss out. But uh, you know that's a lot of wear and tear at this stage of the playoffs. Uh, you know, an extra plane trip, probably not a lot of sleep. Great moment, obviously he would have missed it, but just another added layer for a guy like Brandon Montour, who you know I don't think has played as well. In the first couple of games, I mean, that goes for the Panthers, obviously, but uh, he had such an incredible season, and guy just jumps up into the rush at every opportunity, but I don't think he's been the factor that he has in other series, so uh, we'll see. A little bit of sleep, uh, if he's able to get some with a, a newborn, um, but uh, yeah, just uh, another chapter uh, for the Brandon Montour story. Years from now, when he thinks back, uh, he'll have stories to tell about, you know, a wild first weekend of his Stanley Cup. And final. I hope people aren't down on him for that. I mean, life events like that are just remarkable. Oh. You have to be there. Like, like whatever you're sure. doing, you know, outside of your home life, that just all stops. It doesn't matter. The utmost importance is uh, being there uh, with his wife or girlfriend. So, yeah, I mean, they're on the ropes. I don't think it's because Montour went and, you know, made that trip there. But uh, let's see if Florida can rebound. I, I want to see it, J-Pad. I just don't, I have not, nothing through the first game, two games has told me uh, that Florida is going to come back here. Well, I think in the first game, it was two all into the third period. So it wasn't like they got run out of the rink. They They weren't great in the third period. But the other night, yeah, that one got away from them. That happens. But I think you just, at this time of the year and at this level, you got to park that. It's a loss, right? 10 nothing or one nothing in overtime. It's yeah. just one loss. Um, they weren't very good, and they kind of lost their mind. They Again, I just think they got to focus a little bit better, discipline, stick to hockey. You're, again, you're not sending messages. Oh, they're not, to they're the not accepting. They're flushing those messages point. anyway. So, they don't even care. <laughs> right. So so change your strategy and get back at it. And um but yeah, I mean, I think this is when Florida's maybe at its most dangerous Perhaps. is when yeah. the hockey world sort of eases up and uh, they're done. Yeah, I've been doubting them uh, the entire playoffs. So, you know, yeah. prove me wrong. Yeah. Prove me wrong. <laughs> By the way, tomorrow you teased it, but we got a very special guest. We're stepping yep. out of our comfort zone a little bit, perhaps into an octagon. Little tease there. It's been uh-huh. another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is the show. It always starts.